This past week, there was significant media attention to budget cuts at the El Paso Health Department in Colorado Springs and its disastrous effects on the city's STD control program. Here to discuss these developments is John Potterad, who directed the program for close to 30 years between 1972 and 2001. Welcome to the podcast, John. Well, thanks very much for inviting me. Sure. Your former health department boss, Dr. John Muth, was cited as saying that under your leadership, the El Paso SD control program was the best in the country and perhaps even the world. Many colleagues would agree with that statement. So what was so unique about the program and what are we losing? Well, I think what was most uh, exceptional about it was the enthusiasm that the, the attack on STD in the community. We were a can-do group of people, and we didn't believe that something couldn't be done. I think the best outcomes were that we were willing to try anything that was ethical and moral and legal to control these programs. And we had a bureaucratic structure that was not adversarial, that was supportive of us trying new things. Uh-huh. So could you say a few more things about how you approach these things? I mean, you had a, a pretty large staff, uh, as I recall, of, of disease intervention specialists or DIS workers who were working gonorrhea and chlamydia cases. Is that not correct? Yeah, because we went after every case in the county, whether it was reported by the military, by hospitals, private doctors, or clinic. We are not just simply a clinic-based program. And we wanted to see how powerfully contact tracing could impact the community burden. We wanted to show that it was a tool that could significantly reduce the uh, community burden and at the same time learn something about community dynamics, what it was that was sustaining these microbes on a population level. And so I think our major contributions was that were that, one, we were able to demonstrate an impact of contact tracing on reducing the burden, and two, we were able to show some of the things that sustained transmission on a community level, like the uh, the architecture of networks and the uh, contributions of core groups. So it's fair to say that you know during the years that you have been doing this, that a significant amount of information was, was learned about the social and, and sexual networks. Uh, I think before this time, we hardly knew anything about these networks, and yet you kind of uh, literally put that on the map. Yeah, we didn't invent that, by the way. Those things, those thoughts were out there uh, on an academic level. What we did in, uh, is we went out and provided the empiric evidence that core group uh, idea was correct, that networks indeed were the substrate for the transmission of these bugs. So basically, we're empiricists. We went out there and did the shoe leather epidemiology necessary to demonstrate scientifically that these people were indeed correct, but we didn't invent it. And so when you learned about these dynamics, how did that inform then sort of the development of your prevention program? Well, I, we thought that not only would the successes uh, have pleased people, it turned out that it may have had the opposite effect. And that's why I think that in this particular might be the universal. And the lesson, you know, why would you be talking to somebody from a backwater place like Colorado Springs unless there was some sort of perhaps significant lesson to be learned from this, it turns out that there are a lot of elements on a local level, in particularly in communities that don't have a, a very large STD burden, that have, say, maybe a moderate or a small STD burden. There are many elements on the local level who don't think we ought to be doing the things that we are doing. That is to say, you know, that we're making the community safe for sex 
And in effect, good STD control is really reinforcement for immoral behavior because it facilitates promiscuity. There's no sword of Damocles hanging over people's heads if you have a community that's essentially clean of STD. And so there are many people, many forces, particularly social conservative forces in the community, who would prefer that we are not successful because as long as there's a lot of ED out there, it will make people more careful about being sexually adventurous. Mm -hmm. So it turns out that was probably the substrate for them not valuing the program after I left and for them not support after Dr. Muth and I uh, left, I was pushed out and possibly he was too. Once we left, then they didn't buy into this program, probably for those kinds of reasons. So what did happen in, in those years that uh, since you have uh, retired from the program? During those eight years since I've been gone, basically the program was just hanging on. And because there were no more exogenous monies coming in, monies from grants or from the federal government or the state, then the budget was entirely dependent on the county, meaning the county commissioners providing the money. And in the old days, when I ran it for 30 years, we always had either federal support or state support, or we were able to attract grants. And so the impact on the local taxpayer was rather modest. And we sort of escaped scrutiny for many, many years. But in the last eight years, essentially, the program had to be entirely supported by local funds. And when the crunch came, and it, it came gradually over the last eight years, and certainly since the fall uh, with the meltdowns, then because they did not have an investment morally to this program, they decided to go ahead and just let it go. And so uh, now with the, the media attention that you've gotten in the last couple of weeks, have there been any reactions? Well, actually, surprisingly, no. Uh, I was very surprised there wasn't this uh, lead article in the local newspaper, and then I looked for letters to the editor, and there was virtually silence. Uh, it's not as if there was community outrage at the idea, and that's probably what I'm trying to tell you, is that on a community level, on the local level, there's a lot of folks, particularly in the conservative community like Colorado Springs, who uh, you know are not not going to be terribly interested in fighting for this, and who decide that there must be other priorities, things that are more important. And I think that's the lesson for STD programs throughout this country and those that are listening, which is that you really need to make sure that people in your local community really get hard numbers to see what they're getting for their money. You know, the support isn't forthcoming on its own. Just because it's STD doesn't mean that people naturally will want them to be controlled. There might be people that are listening to this interview who would think, well, you know, this is not going to happen in my backyard. This is Colorado Springs, after all. But uh, only a few weeks ago in Massachusetts, uh, you, you've probably heard this, you know, they, they shut down all their STD clinics. Do you think that these events are related? Yes. Whenever people ask for funding for STD, they automatically assume that, you know, people are going to do that or that we're entitled to it because we run this program. But in point of fact, what really, I think, lends support to local programs are two things. One, that people who are not involved in the program, like emergency room physicians or maybe people that are social workers, begin to say, gee, we're seeing a lot of cases and they're crowding our emergency rooms and they're causing us a lot of money. And, you know, why aren't these diseases controlled? 
And, you know, why do we get all these young women in hospitals that have PID or infertility problems and they're costing the taxpayer huge amounts of money because we're downstream paying for this? Mm. You guys ought to be going upstream and preventing those cases. There's no such pressure, uh, at least in Colorado Springs. And the uh, second thing is that when federal or state monies are not forthcoming to help out, uh, then they kind of figure locally that it couldn't be all that important. And so, you know, when it comes to cost-cutting, there is less of a vested interest in STD on a lot of levels, and they cut the programs. What I do not forgive the local people for doing is that they burnt their bridges. I mean, you'd think that they would hang on to one or two people with the expertise in case conditions get better or there is a need for them so that they can resuscitate the program. Somebody that would have the operational memory and, you know, that would have the skills to get a program started again. But they just burnt their bridges. There's no, no longer a categorical STD clinic. It's subsumed under a generalized clinic. And once you do that, you lose your focus. And so the tragedy of Colorado Springs is nobody seems to care. And two, the, uh, uh, probably the most important uh, lesson to learn from that is unless you get support from elsewhere, you know, these programs will be attacked and, and will be cut. Well, John, very sobering and important lessons indeed. Thank you for being with us today. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Discussing the changes in the El Paso SD control program was John Potterat, director of the program between 1972 and 2001. He spoke with us from his home in Colorado Springs. SD podcasts are produced by Ben Westergaard for the Internet and SD Center of Excellence. I'm Kay Zriedmeyer for SD Prevention Online.